Hello. Um, our gospel lesson is from Luke 18, 9 through 14. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank God that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I am certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to the heavens as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you this, sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. And for those who exile themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exiled. This is the gospel of Christ. Good morning, my name is Ty, and my reading comes from um, 2 Timothy 4, 6-8, through 8, and 16-18. through 18. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race. I have remained faithful, and now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you, uh, as always, for this room and for these people. And we thank you that you have a way of showing up among us. And so we invite you now. We invite your spirit to come and uh, to be with us. We pray that uh, in our time together this morning, as you have already done, uh, I just ask that we will learn more of you and more of ourselves in light of you, of, of who you made us to be, of the ways that you have formed us and called us and equipped us. I pray that you will call out things in us that we never imagined. I love you, and we're grateful for you. And then we pray. Amen. Uh, I lo- Josiah read the scripture because he had an idea that the preteens needed to read the Bible in front of you, and I think that's such a good idea. That's a brave thing for a middle school boy to do. So, Josiah, thank you for that vision. I love it. And he looked very handsome. <laughs> very handsome. Um, we are going to jump right in today. I don't have a stand-up routine for you uh, this week. My kids have been relatively normal, and I haven't, I haven't gotten pulled over for reckless driving while eating breakfast, if you remember that story. Um, so it's terribly disappointing, but uh, this, that's where we are this week. So uh, today what we're doing is we're finishing up the series that we've been in really for the last uh, five or six weeks uh, called The Letters, where we've spent a few weeks uh, looking at the letters written uh, from the great missionary Paul to his spiritual son Timothy. Um, 
And we've said we've been in um, the, the second one, Second Timothy, for the last couple of weeks. And we've said these are the final, theologians and, and scholars believe that these are the final recorded words of Paul. And so now we're at the very end of, or almost the very end of Second Timothy. And so these really are the last recorded words of Paul. Uh, this is Paul at the very end of his life. Uh, he's about to die at the hands of Nero. And, um, and so uh, I really am going to focus on one verse today. He says this one very haunting and beautiful sentence that Ty uh, read for us this morning. Um, Verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. A man at the very end of his life, uh, staring at a certain death, and that's what he says to Timothy. I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. He's looking back um, on his life with these powerful and haunting and beautiful words. And so my hope is today um, that in our time together, we'll look at what does, what does that mean? What does it mean to fight the good fight, to finish the race, uh, to stay faithful? Uh, what, what would it look like for us at the end of our lives to do something similar? So um, in order to do that today, I'm going to pick up where I abruptly left us off last week. I laughed all week. I don't, I'm not sure I could have ended a sermon any more awkwardly than like the end and sat down. Um, but I have done that before. But um, I'm going to pick up where we left off last week. And so, uh, but what I want to do is for those of you who we missed last week, I want to kind of bring you up to speed at what we talked about. We talked about some some kind of big stuff. Last week in 2 Timothy 3, we looked at the commissioning of Timothy. Paul, at the very end of his letter, he, he commissions Timothy to go and do uh, the work of the kingdom in the world. As, as a mentor to a mentee, he, he empowers and blesses and commissions Timothy in kingdom work. And, um, and that led us to look at commissionings in the scripture. All, all throughout the scriptures, there are loads of commissions or mandates or charges from God or prophets or leaders to the people of God. And, um, and, and we really narrowed it down to two main commissions. There are two kind of um, big funnel uh, commissions or mandates from God to people that apply uh, to, to so, uh, so many more people. So um, the first commission that we looked at last week is what uh, scholars call the creation mandate or the cultural mandate. And it's found in Genesis chapter 2, and it is a commission from God to all human beings, to all people, no matter what. Um, God tells uh, the first man and the first woman that their job as a person, that their job as human beings is to work the ground and to bring order to the ground. To work the ground and to bring order to it. To work in the world and to bring order into the world. And, and this is a big deal. This is a big deal for lots of reasons. Um, one is that it, 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 it's God's um, directive of what it means to be a person. We're all asking questions like that. Um, another thing that makes it a big deal uh, is that what it means is from the beginning of time, God has cared about the ground and the air and the space and all of the things that he created. It means that um, if the scriptures are true, then God created uh, with skill and purpose the actual earth to be worked and ordered, to be cared for and subdued. So, subdued. So what we said last week is that means that it's not just the job of the Democrats and the vegetarians to take care of the world, right? It, whose job is it? Humans. That's what God says. It's the job of humans. Um, I invited the Democrat vegetarians to help us, but no one came forward. Um, <laughs> So it also means, it also means, so not just that, not just that God cares for the actual world, um, but it also means that if God is real, and I have a hunch that he is, uh, then he has, from the very beginning, spoken purpose into people, spoken purpose into human beings. Uh, It means that we were not created uh, in any way on accident. 
That if God is real, then the scriptures tell us that, that we did not appear accidentally, but on purpose for purpose. That's the way we say it a lot around here. That you are made on purpose for purpose. It means that if you are breathing, this cultural mandate means that if you are breathing, and if there is dirt somewhere around you, then you have a job to do. As a human being, then, then you have a job to do, to join God in the work of creation and in the work of renewal all over the earth. And then there's a second, so that's the first one, the cultural mandate or the cultural commissioning, uh, creation commissioning. And then there's a second one that we looked at last week. Um, this one comes from Jesus, and it's a little bit more specific. Um, it's not just for all of humanity, but it's from Jesus uh, to people who say they want to follow Jesus. Um, from Jesus to the people of God. And we find it in Acts chapter 1. Um, it's often called the Great Commission. And it's where Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. And he uh, looks at his people and he tells them, I am empowering you with my spirit um, in the work and the story of the kingdom of God all over the earth. I'm empowering you with my spirit for the work and the story of the kingdom of God all over the earth. And, and last week we said... Now, what we think Jesus means when he says that is that um, he means, he really means for us to do it. Like, it's his last thing. We, we've talked a lot about last words. It's his last thing that he says to his people. Go and work and story for the kingdom of God. And so we, we said that that probably means that he, he wants us to actually use our words. That we would actually use our words uh, to tell a story that to be a Jesus follower means to be the kind of people who are telling with our actual mouths and actual words the story of the God who is making all things new. And then right at the end where we left off is the idea that Jesus didn't just mean for us to, to tell the story with our words and our mouths, but that he also meant for us to live lives that tell the story of the kingdom of God. And what he says is we have been empowered by the Spirit of God to live lives that tell the good news of the God who breathes light into dark places and life into dead places and hope into hopeless places. And so today I want to spend our time um, talking about uh, what this means on a really practical level. What does it mean um, to fight the good fight uh, with this uh, kingdom commissioning on a really practical level? That we, that, uh, what it looks like that we have been empowered by the Spirit of God to live lives that tell the good news of the God who, who does the things that we've talked about. Uh, what does it mean to be a kingdom person in this world? Someone commissioned by God to work the ground, to bring order, and to tell the story of the God who makes all things new. Um, last week I said this and I'll say it again. If you're here and you are not a follower of Jesus, I think you picked a great week to come because I'm going to tell you what God has asked his people to do. And then you get to decide if we're doing it or not. Yikes. It's a good week to be here. Uh, there's an author I love. His name is Dan Allender and he wrote a book called The Healing Path. And The Healing Path is one of those books in my life that, um, do you have those that you just kind of keep coming back to and um, all the pages are almost entirely underlined so much it's not helpful anymore. Um, I probably need a new copy. Um, I, I love it. Uh, it's a, it's a go-to book for me. It's really um, formational for me in, in my life. And, and um, in this book, Dan Allender tells the story of sitting on uh, his front porch with his 10-year-old son, Andrew. And Andrew looks at his dad and he asks this question. He looks at his dad and he says, am I here for a reason? Like, Do I exist for a reason? That's a big question. It's a, it's a really big question. If you are a parent or a teacher or an aunt or uncle or grandparent, if you in your life have some sort of um, regular relationship with a kid, these are moments when these questions come where you feel like you're standing in the box and the bases are loaded and it's a full count and you have got to hit the ball. 
right? These, these important questions that matter so much. Graham and I were driving, just the two of us this week, and um, from the back seat, he, uh, just, he asked one of these questions the, the other day. And, uh, kind of out of the blue, and he asked this big important question, and I, I froze. Like, on the spot, I froze. I wanted to look at him and be like, um, thank you for your question. I'm, I'm going to need a minute. And Google, and I'm going to want to talk to some of my friends and my mentors. I'm probably going to talk to my counselor about it. And then I will get back to you on this question that is far more important than you have any idea because you just flippantly asked it in the back of my car. Um, it, 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 it is, these are big questions. And, and Dana Outner's son asked the biggest one, am I here for a reason? Why was I born? What matter does my life have? It's the question that we've all asked, that, that we're probably all asking. And here, here's what he writes. Uh, Dan Allender, writer and professional counselor. It's important that you know that because he did not freeze. Um, he says this. He says, it was a moment that nearly took my breath away. I spoke slowly and quietly so as not to disturb his deep questioning with the flapping of words. I would give anything to be able to control the flapping of words. I always answer the opposite. I'm not like slow and quiet. I'm, I'm the like quick and spastic answer. Um, so his son says, am I here for a reason? He says this, yes, son, you are the only you this world will know. And something about your life is meant to make something about God known in a way that no one else can. Yes, son. You are the only you that this world will ever know, and something about your life is meant to make something about God known in a way that no one else can. That's a good answer, huh? If you're a parent, take notes. I feel like it's the same thing that Paul has been telling Timothy as we've looked at it over the last couple of weeks. This, these two letters are Paul writing to Timothy saying, Timothy, you are the only you this world will ever know. Something in your life is meant to tell the story of God in a way that no one else can. So here's some ways to go do it. It's, it's the message of the commissions of God in our lives to work the ground, to bring order, to tell uh, the story of God in a way that only our lives can tell. You have been created as an individual, made for kingdom work in a way that no one else was. You have been equipped with a unique set of tools and gifts and talents and skills. And that's a radical thing. Other religions don't have this. It's, it's a radical thing to exist for a purpose by the God who needs none of us. That is a radical thing. It's a radical thing for the biggest and most basic things that we do in our lives uh, to be uh, on purpose, for purpose, for the purpose of making the kingdom of God known on the earth. We said last week that, that what we do matters and it matters so much um, that it doesn't have the ability to save us, but it matters. I guess the easiest way uh, to say this, or maybe a good way to say this is, is that uh, uh, what we do matters. It doesn't have the ability to get us into heaven, but instead, as followers of Jesus, it's our ability to bring heaven into the world. That's why it matters. Does that make sense? That, that what we do matters, it, it isn't our way into heaven. That was Jesus and his blood. We, we have no power there. It's not our way into heaven. It is our way of bringing heaven into our world, into our daily lives. That's not a small task. That is a huge task. That is a radical task. How reckless God is to leave it with us or me. Genesis 2 tells us, uh, that we are common dirt enlivened with the breath of God. 
common dirt, enlivened with the breath of God. As a follower of Jesus, your existence is an intersection of heaven and earth. It's an intersection of heaven and earth. Your existence is an intersection of the divine and the dirt. You have been made and empowered to work the ground, to bring order, the order of heaven to it, to live a life that tells the story of rescue and renewal and glory and hope. You have been commissioned and empowered to use your own gifts and talents and skills and delights and dreams and desires to bring the kingdom of heaven into your place in the world, your piece of the world, into what Eugene Peterson calls your square mile of concrete, the actual ground that you walk on. And, and that means this. That means that as Jesus followers, uh, that means that we are meant to exist in the world. That we are meant to exist in the midst of society, in, in the midst of community, not outside of it. Uh, if we are bearers of the things of heaven, and if God wants to fill the earth with the things of heaven, then our job is to, to work the ground of the earth. Uh, if, that's, if that is our job, to work the ground of the earth, then we have to exist in it, Right? We, we have to be part of it. It means that, that our job is to run businesses and make car parts and teach kids and go to school and cook food and pour wine and sell houses and cars and clothes and medical supplies and, and see patients and paint and grow and build and raise kids and throw parties. We are supposed to do these things in the name of Jesus. We are supposed to exist in our community, drink coffee in our community, walk our dogs in our community, eat at restaurants in our communities and write songs and books and plays and do all of these things in order to infiltrate the world with the kingdom of hope and of faith and of love. Uh, The book that I referenced, The Healing Path, uh, uh, Dan Allender, he talks about this part of of ancient Greek society and it's something called the Agora. And the Agora is this place of, it's sort of like the heart of the town, the place of um, commerce and information and ideas, the place that everything kind of flows in and out of. It's, It's the heart of the city, the place where everything's flowing in and everything's flowing out. We don't really have a good modern equivalent of that. I tried to think of one in Blount County and I was like, maybe Vienna or like the Green Belt. There are, th- there are places that everybody kind of touches, but, but we don't really have um, a, a good example of this. So when the Bible translators, when they translate the word agora into English, uh, because we don't have a great equivalent, they often use the word streets. So when, 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 you, when you see empowering in the scriptures in the New Testament to go into the streets, this is what they're talking about. The writers of the New Testament, they had this idea of going into the agora, of going into the streets, into, into our communities on purpose, for purpose. Of the people of God existing in the actual streets of their actual towns on mission. Meaning that we would work our actual ground. That we would be people who restore order and who tell the story of the party that every single person, no matter what, has been invited to. Uh, the way we say it around here, I stole this from my friend Steve Nicholson. And, and um, it, we say that one of the ways that we live out the commission of the kingdom is that that means that we appoint ourselves the chaplain of wherever it is that we are. That when we go to Kroger, because we walk in the door, we're the chaplain of Kroger. I say that a lot, that I'm the chaplain of Kroger. I'm actually trying to get rid of that. One right now, I'm trying to become the chaplain of Savory Roots. Have you eaten there? Um, Josh Armstrong and I are in a contest on who can be the chaplain there. I lost subs and such to my dad years ago. So, so Savory Roots is my new. Actually, Chris Sigmund is on this battle, too. Um, 
So, but, but that's it. When I walk in the room, then I'm going to the chaplain of whatever room I am in. And so here's what I'm saying is that as a follower of Jesus, when you enter a room or a business or a place, when you go into the streets, you are empowered by God's kingdom on purpose for purpose. You enter uniquely gifted as a kingdom person with the creativity of a person who knows what rescue looks like. You, you, it's like the, the two men that Josiah read to us about uh, from the Luke passage. A kingdom person enters, uh, they, we don't go into the streets thanking God that we're not like everybody else. A kingdom person uh, goes into the streets with the full knowledge that there is hope in the deepest places because we've been there. That there is light in the darkest places because we've been there. We go into the streets as someone who has experienced darkness and has been rescued and is being rescued. Uh, Here's the thing. If you ask for it, I believe that God will fill you with the wisdom and the courage and the creativity to live as you in your actual places in really incredible ways. Like, I actually think that's what God wants for us. I, I think that God wants something more for his people than simply existing. Something beyond the grind of a boring and unfulfilled life. I really believe that. In John 10, 10, Jesus says this. He said, I came to bring them life and bring it to the full. Eugene Peterson, the message translates like this. I came to bring life beyond what they ever dreamed of. Is that the life you're living? That's what he came to live. Or he came to to bring us a life beyond what we can ever dream of. A life, uh, not a boring life, but a life lived on purpose. Uh, I have some friends that live this way. Um, I have a friend, Justin, and uh, Justin owns a real estate company in Knoxville. And their mission statement of this real estate company is people over profits. Like, if you Google their company, they put it on the website. They, like, put it on coffee mugs and stuff. People over purpose. And they treat it like this, um, like this filter that everything kind of goes in and out of. Like, um, if, if they're going to make a decision, they filter it through, are we picking people or profits? Are we picking people or profits? And, and so they put it everywhere for everyone to see. How many of you know that if you put that mission statement of people over profits everywhere and then you don't do it, people aren't going to use your company? Right? They're, they're not going to. If, if they're holding a coffee mug that says people over profits and you're treating the people like a commodity, they're not going to use you. And then they're going to blow up your Google reviews. I checked his Google reviews last night, all five star. <laughs> Justin has found a way to do business as a kingdom person. To do business as a kingdom person. I have a friend, Adam. I, I've talked about Adam a lot around here. Adam has a business in Camden, New Jersey. Does anyone Anyone gone on vacation to Camden, New Jersey? No, you haven't, because it's the worst city in America. You know how I know that? The news. If you Google Camden, New Jersey, it every year shows up in the top ten worst. The only cities that beat it this year were like Flint, Michigan, and Detroit. And that's saying something. It's, it's number two. It lost its spot as the most dangerous city in America to St. Louis this year. This is a list printed by the FBI, most dangerous cities in America, number two, Camden, New Jersey. It's a terrible place. It is a very terrible place. It is a place with loads of crime, a place with no thriving business, a place full of unhappy people who struggle for jobs and money and value. And my friend Adam opened a business there because he's nuts. He opened a business there, not because he's nuts, because he's a kingdom person. 
because he wanted to find the worst city in America and he wanted to open a business there where he pays people a living wage. No one in Camden makes a living wage. Adam wanted to pay people a living wage. He, he has a diverse staff of uh, diverse racially, religiously, economically. He does things like he uses water-based ink instead of other ink because he knows that his, his job, his impact on the world isn't just social, it's also environmental. And I'm not sure if this is still true, but at one point, he used a company that only employed folks with special needs to do all of their packaging. So if you want to buy a t-shirt or a coffee mug, Camden Printworks, that's what it's called. Um, so he didn't pay me for the ad. He doesn't even know I'm saying that. Um, he, it's a truly creative way to do business with kingdom impact. We have tons of folks here that are doing that. I could like go person by person and list. One person I thought of, Dixie is a nail tech, and she has this mission that she doesn't want to destroy your nails when she does nail work. She could. She could tear your nails to pieces in the name of beauty, but she doesn't do that. She, she doesn't do that. I, I, I think that it is, uh, again, I can name loads of examples. And, and also, here's the thing. I think we can do more. I think we can do better. I think we can dream bigger and be more creative and learn how to live in our actual world as a kingdom person. We can li- learn, continually learn how to conduct business and live on our streets as if we believe that we truly have been commissioned by God to join him in the renewal of all things. That we can learn better how to be employees that believe that the way we show up to work matters. That we can be stay-at-home parents who believe in our work, the eternal of our work. That we can be doctors and nurses and teachers and social workers and service providers all over this area with eyes to see uh, the broken and the outcasts. That we can enter in with stories of renewal and rescue infiltrating the world in the name of hope and faith and love and peace. And here's the great part of being a kingdom person. Uh, what that means is if we're part of the kingdom of God, uh, uniquely gifted, uh, empowered to be part of the kingdom of God, the great news is we don't have to do it alone. We don't have to do it by ourselves. One of my favorite scriptures in the whole book is Psalm 68 where the psalmist uh, praises God. He says, you take the lonely and you put them into family." You take the lonely and you put them into families. Following Jesus means living out kingdom commission um, as the only you in the world together with your family in community together. Some of us in this room uh, work together or go to school together or live near each other or do community or or eat out together or, or you show up in this room every single week to be encouraged in a group so that we can send you off to wherever it is you live. It matters that we do stuff together. It's a good thing not to be alone. We could use more of that. I could, you. It's a good thing. Do you know why it matters that we do it together? Because kingdom work is really, really messy. God gives you these commissions, and then he does the worst thing. He doesn't promise you that it's going to go well. He gives you these commissions, and then he puts you in contact with people, and people are the worst. (laughs) It's messy. You know what happens when you live out this commission? You get burned hard. It's so, so hard and so, so messy. You will get hurt and you will get burned and you will 100% get taken advantage of. That's why you don't do it alone. That's why you don't do it alone. We need each other. 
We need each other for wisdom. We need each other for accountability. And we need each other to to lick our wounds because they will happen. We need each other. We need each other for creativity. Um, uh, this is how it works out for me. I thought of two examples. I'm, I'm not a gardener, but if you know our friend Stan Sharp, Stan Sharp is a horticulturist. And, um, and the thing is, uh, when Stan talks about plants, when he talks about getting his hands in the actual dirt, it stirs something inside me. Like there was a point in my life where I was going through something that I didn't know the way out of. It was so hard and I couldn't find the way out. And at one point, Stan talked about, he was just talking about work and he talked about pruning this plant at work. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit uh, put stuff back together in my heart and in my life just because Stan talked about his job. That's a big deal. And and I'm not a builder, uh, but I look at things that Cody Hammontree builds like they're a Van Gogh painting. Y'all, he has this staircase. He has this staircase. The only word that I have to describe this staircase is that it's holy. Can stairs be holy? Sure. This one is. It's holy. When I think of tending the ground and bringing order and telling a story with the work of our hands, I think about this staircase of my friend who, who is bringing renewal via loads of things, but stairs are one of them. Uh, I, I, I was talking to Deb the other day. Deb is a nurse, and she was just talking about her job. I was asking her what she did. She's talking about her job, and she was talking about these conversations that she has with pa- patients. And, and the whole time, I am learning from Deb how to enter into some of the scariest and most fragile days in someone's life. We need each other. We need the stories in this room. We need to sit with each other accountably and say, this is who I want to be. Am, am I living this? Do you see this in my life? I have some other friends. Uh, they, one owns a business in Knoxville. One owns a business in California. And they meet up for a long weekend once a year with other of their good friends that are business owners. And here's what they do. They sit for a long weekend. And one by one, they take turns. And they open up their books. And they open up their lives in front of their friends. And they say, you know who I want to be. Am I being this? They let people see their budgets. Do your friends know your budget? Mine don't. They open up their books, and, they, and, and then their friends get to look at them and say, you said you want to be the kind of person that gives this percent of money away, and you didn't do it this year. And then they, they let their friends ask questions like, um, how, how's business going? And is this person working? Are you being faithful to your wife? And uh, what's your work-life balance? And they sit together accountably and say, this is who I want to be. I want to be that person in my actual streets. And they let their friends speak into this. We need each other. We, we don't do this alone. We don't do this alone. That's why it matters that we know each other. In this room, it matters that we know each other. I, I, I said it earlier. I am so excited about what we're cooking up for small groups. I think we're getting it right this time. We may not be, and we'll try again. If we're not, I'm so excited uh, about that's coming. But, but it's, it's why, until, until that comes, it's why we want you to come eat Cuban food tomorrow night. Cuban food's great. You guys are better. <laughs> we want you to be in the same room. It's, it's why I want you to show up with Chad He's our associate pastor, by the way. I didn't say that. Chad, the associate pastor, is why we should show up to a small group because we belong to each other. We, we need each other. It's why you go to something like a women's retreat, not because it's convenient to spend a whole Saturday somewhere. Who can do that? Nobody. But we do it because we believe that we need each other, that it matters. It's why we pass the peace for so many minutes. I get more questions about that than anything else. Why do you pass the peace so long? Because we need each other. We need each other, not because we want to like holy huddle and just spend time in church and never, ever talk to anyone else, 
But, but we need to, to learn from each other as a family to allow God's spirit to encourage us and empower us and spark creativity in us to live out what we are created for. Amen? I forgot to call the band up. They can come on up. <laughs> you got preaching. Uh, here's what we're going to do. Another rhythm of ours. We do it every week. Uh, we call it Selah. It's a word we stole from the Psalms. Not Kanye West, if you saw his new album. Um, <laughs> stole it from King David. Uh, <laughs> here's why we do it. Because we think it matters that we take a pause. When in your life do you ever take a pause? And the Psalm Selah means don't move on too quickly from here. That's my translation. Stop. Don't move on too quickly. Stay here for just a minute. So that's what we're going to do. And so we're just going to pray, and there will be music. But other than that, it's going to be really quiet. Verses on the screen. You can follow along if you want. And I just want to ask the Spirit of God to do stuff in us. I I think he will. I think, uh, I told somebody, I said, I have an ear infection. I can't move my neck, and I stubbed my toe this morning. God is going to do something great. So we're going to wait. We're going to wait on the Spirit of God, and we're going to ask him, here's some things. As I was praying last night, I felt like uh, these were some things. I feel like God is on the move here, and this is, this is who knows. Um, I felt like there were some of us that he really, I say this every week, but for whatever reason, maybe this week uh, you needed to hear that you are here for a reason. You are not an accident. You are made on purpose for purpose. You're not the one exception. I always think I am. You're not the one exception. Here's another thing. I think for some of us, he will call out things that in us that will tell the story of Jesus in a way that's uniquely ours to tell. I think the Holy Spirit wants to give us creativity and um, calling and things like that. And then maybe this one was just for me, but I felt like maybe, I want to say, because it may be for everyone, maybe some of you have been trying to live this kind of life uh, for a while. You know that you have, and you have been burned. You have been absolutely burned, and maybe you got burned really, really bad, so much so that you're afraid to try again. And I just think that God wants to do some healing and encouraging in you. So I'm going to shut up. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to shut up. And we're just going to sit. Holy Spirit, come. We invite you here with us and for us and in us. I pray that you will um, give us courage to look inside our own hearts and our own stories to the ways that um, that you want to whisper hope to us, the ways that you want to encourage us, the ways you want to expose um, with your mercy and gentleness, expose the things in us that aren't telling kingdom stories, that are telling stories, that are telling Lindsay stories, that are telling stories just about our own selves and our own life and our own comfort and our own self-protection instead of telling about the kingdom. I pray for us in this room who have been burned and busted by doing the very thing that you ask us to do. God, I pray your spirit will encourage us. Will you fill us with hope? Will you put fresh vision and creativity? Will you make a safe space for us to, to mourn? We don't talk about that a lot, but part of this process is mourning what's lost and mourning what didn't go right and mourning the hurt. So, God, we just ask you for space and room for that. In your name we pray. Amen.